Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. My name is Crystal Fall, editor of the Toolkit, and after a couple of weeks off, we are back from Sundance with director Alma Harrell talking about her film, which uh, premiered here, it seemed like a year ago, but Friday night? Friday, Friday at, yeah. at Slade, Honey Boy. Uh, it's a wonderful film. And, you know, I have to say something here. Uh, in the summer of 2016, Eric Cohn told me that I had to have a podcast, which is not something I wanted to do. And I didn't know what to do. And I said, he's like, well, you should just talk to filmmakers. And I got on Skype with Alma, and we talked for an hour. And I figured out that that is what I wanted to do, but probably the, the Skype didn't record... And it didn't do, but suddenly we had the format. And now we're 80 podcasts in. We've had every Academy Award-winning director. Everybody comes in here. And I have been dying for who was my first guest to come out with a new film so she could be on here and do this because uh, she was that conversation and giving her time was the inspiration for us to do this the first time. Thank uh, you so much. I didn't know that it was uh, became a ghostly uh thing and it's oh, so cool we, actually we fucked up the skype recording and we didn't it's kind of cool right we also talked for like two <laughs> hours <laughs> it's like this thing I know. and i cut it up and they're like okay no here's what you do exactly like that but a half an hour when they have a film come out right and so that's smart like, that's how you do it this film i think everybody i it just we don't usually do these things until they come out, and this is going to be coming out Sunday. And so I just want to give a little context here, because you know, although this film has reached well beyond because of the Shia factor, this is a story that uh, Shia LaBeouf wrote while he was in rehab. Right, brought court, it to court you. Court ordered rehab. Court ordered rehab, and it is largely in him coming to terms with his relationship with his father. And he plays his father in this movie. Um, And so, you know, he was, your relationship with him, I I mean, I know of it because he was, he basically was what facilitated one of my favorite films, Love True, from happening, largely just as a fan of yours and trying to facilitate, right? Yeah. Um, And thank you, by the way, for all your help over the years in supporting filmmakers and writing about my work. And, you know, it means a lot. Not, not, there's uh, not a lot of it out there, so I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, in 2011, I directed my first film, Bombay Beach. Um, it came out, it had music on it by a band named Beirut and by one um, artist named Bob Dylan. And, uh, uh, and um, it, you know, it was uh, one day Shia went to Amoeba Records and was kind of looking for. Uh, a documentary by Bob Dylan and to um, my, I mean, I was just lucky enough that some um, employee at Amoeba Records decided to put Bombay Beach at the Bob Dylan section. So um, he picked it up randomly and he was like, what's this? Looks kind of cool. Took it, bought it, bought it, saw it at home, watched it twice that night and then emailed me to my website. And um, that that film had, at the center of it, it was three stories, but at the center of it was a little boy named Benny whose father was an alcoholic. And unlike Shia, this kid was uh, kind of very troubled and imaginative and creative. And um, so I think he connected to it. And we started after that working together. We met. Um, and when I, uh, we did a music video for Sigur Rose. And after that, I tried to do my second film, Love True. And to my then surprise, now that I know how little women directors get a break, <laughs> I'm less surprised, but 
I couldn't get it financed. Um, and Bombay Beach was something that got a lot and, of love. Yeah, and, and Bombay Beach won tons of festivals and Tribeca and was nominated for the Indie Spirit Awards and was picked up by Focus Films. So I assumed I wouldn't have a hard time. I wasn't looking for a big budget at all. Um, it was under a million dollars. And so, uh, yeah, I was uh, pretty frustrated. I managed to get a grant and went to Alaska and filmed some stuff and then sent it to Shia. And he was just asking, so what's next? What's going on with it? And I said, I can't get it financed. Definitely never thought he would offer to finance it. And he really didn't on our call. But on New Year's Eve, I got a, a letter in the mail and it had a check in it with the budget for the whole film. That's and, uh, not don't expect that to ever happen again. <laughs> and so then he and I, I'm not ruining something because I think this is pretty upfront in the in, in the documentary. Uh, I'm sorry, I apologize. In Honey Boy, which is not a documentary, <clears throat> the character played by Lucas Hedges, who is playing an adult Shia, is in therapy and is writing these pages. And yeah. it's and and it's 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 him kind of coming to terms. My sense is, is that that somewhat mirrors the real story and those pages went to you. Well, it was, uh, Shia was arrested in 2017 and had a pretty, uh, I think the media covered that arrest. It was uh, something he was very ashamed of and uh, was very, you know, troubled at the time by the way everything happened. Um, he was court ordered to go to rehab and while he was there, um, his uh, therapist, who is also his probation officer, basically, um, had him write his memories. And uh, he wrote them in the form of a script from the start. So I got an email again. Um, I love his emails. They're always very short and, and really cool. They're kind of like little poems. And uh, it had a script attached. And um, the script at the time was called Stamen. Uh, which is the male fertilizing organ of a flower. Mm -hmm. um, it kind of came up in the scene with the weed when uh, that comes in the scene, but um, in the film. Mm -hmm. And uh, it really dealt more with the child part. It didn't have the older Otis. Mm -hmm. You know, it was about a child named Otis who was a child actor and his father who lived in a motel. And it just recounted um, Shia's memories of living with his father at the time and paying his father to be his chaperone while he was filming Even Steven, which was exactly what happened. So it was uh, all that stuff in the movies pretty much um, stayed from the script. I think the best stuff in the film was in that script, you know, the way that James was written, especially, and uh, Otis himself. But my work was kind of to develop Otis with him, you know, to kind of make sure that little Otis has more to say that, that, and that older Otis kind of bring him into, into the picture. So we workshopped those parts. There's, a, there's an element here, and I really don't, I'm far more interested in the, in the process than I am the personal, it, sure. but the, it's so wrapped up. You know, there's this aspect in, in Love True with your characters, which is a movie really people should go check out, especially in context of Honeyboy. There is this reenactment that you do that yeah. is almost like this therapeutic act. Yeah, it's called psychodrama. It's kind of based on principles from Gestalt and psychodrama, but, but mostly really psychodrama, like you're saying, where you um, act out, you are the protagonist, and then you act out with a group. Uh, you act out your memories, your traumas, your fears, and... Uh, in my film Love True that you mentioned, 
uh, people are doing it with their younger selves. Mm -hmm. And really, this is a very similar thing. It's like Shia stepping into his father's character and acting it out with his younger self. And when I and getting the sense and and, and watching him on stage and watching you all on stage, um, my sense was is that this film, which gives the audience a feeling of of a therapeutic breakthrough, right. It, in and of itself, the process also feels therapeutic, and and and, and, and I, I don't know how much of it carried over from was the techniques that you were using in Love True or what he was actually going through. But there's this aspect; it, it almost him playing the father almost feels yeah. like this whole process, in addition to making a great piece of art, was also a piece of therapy to a degree or I a mean, continuation I mean, of what I he think started. That, I think that like you know the past week has been crazy because the film was received so well and like we got so many like reactions and reviews and a lot of them have been writing about the therapeutic aspect of it and obviously I think that what makes this film feel so raw and have such a strong catharsis in the end of it and why people get such an emotional response is because it is obviously like you said the therapeutic aspect of it is folded into the making of it but I feel that art in general and that's something that I, is that I follow anyways has saved my life and that art is to a certain degree um, has a component of therapy to it but it also has the ability to transcend the need for therapy and the personal into something more universal and into something that other people mm -hmm. can enjoy and benefit and be touched by. So I feel that what we did had like kind of a few aspects to it. Yes, it had the personal, you know, um, therapeutic mm -hmm. um, experience that Shia had, but also all of us worked on it. You know, my father is an alcoholic and that was one of the reasons that I was drawn to make this film. Um, you said something very beautiful when you introduced the film. All alcoholics are my all children of alcoholics are my brothers and sisters. One hundred percent, they're all my brothers and my sisters, and and um, and I know how much I share with them, each one of them, you know, and like the things that you have to deal with, no matter what the what kind of alcoholism it was. Um, if you've if you've gone through uh, a recovery period, then you know what connects you to others who grew up like that, and there's really certain things that happen. Um, in those families and in those homes that do replicate themselves and, and touch us and that we have to kind of deal with. It's just like, uh, and I, I, I think that I look at it in general though as kind of a process of alchemy of like, you know, I, I got this tattoo when I finished the film of the, of the Ouroboros, oh, wow. which is like still healing, but like of the snake that eats itself. Mm -hmm. um, it's the original Ouroboros that Cleopatra the alchemist have painted in Egypt in the third century. Um, and it's about, you know, the, the part, using the prima materia, which is like the human, it's himself, if you look at it from a Jungian perspective mm -hmm. and not look at it as the, you know, simplistic way of like you're trying to make gold out of metal. It's not just that, it's like kind of eating your own pain and by that creating something that is art, right? That mm -hmm. is transcendent, that can heal others. So I think that that's what, in, in, in some way what this film does. Um, I think that anybody also that had a relationship with his father or with masculine characters in his life that were toxic or suffered themselves from definitions of masculinity, and I think that's a big theme in the film, mm. uh, seem to have a very strong response to the film because it really deals a lot with it. You know, I mean, we live in a time where we're asking so many questions about 
why do men behave like that? What is it that, like, why do women are being perceived like that or get these roles in all sorts of relationships with men? Or, but we, we don't really stop to talk about the little boys and the little kids that have to live with these sort of older definitions of masculinity that don't allow you to be sensitive or that, you know, put so much focus on um, things like how tough you are, what's the size of your penis, and things like that that you can really see in the film and like the shame that you live with when you have to deal with those things. So there's a lot in this film that I think is really relevant to what we're kind of experiencing right now as a, as a society, yeah. you know. Yeah. You know, you had talked about that largely what the original pages were were more focused on the kid. And I think just building off what you just said, because I think it's a natural extension, is sure. now we're talking about how to structure this into an experience. And it sounds as like a large part of what you did was building in that adult um, Otis. Who, Otis, who is played by um, Lucas Hedges, and a very interesting structure of how we're going to go back and forth. Right. Because And that only came in the edit. By the way, it did. Yeah. So, what was the concept? Okay, let's take it. What was the conception in terms of building those two parallel tracks, and then how did it evolve? So, I think when we first, when we when we started to shoot, we had a, a script that was already called Honey Boy, but it was um, uh, more linear. So, it was it started with Young Otis. Mm -hmm. um, it went all the way till the end of that story, mm -hmm. and then you met. Um, um, older Otis mm -hmm. when he's 21 um, and that's now the opening shot of the film um, and you went with that until it's a the wonderful end. introduction thank you mm -hmm. and when I edited the film I uh, really felt that understanding the context of why you're even telling the story of this kid why you're going to that world was so much uh, more powerful when it was uh, told after you saw the older Otis and you realized that this is kind of a, a peeling of the onion kind of act, you know. And really when you think about it, this whole thing was written like that, you know. It was written by older uh, Shia um, as an act of trying to understand what made him, what made him be in the situation where he's diagnosed with PTSD. What was the trauma? What was the, where was the anger coming from? Where were these problems with the male figures in his life uh, rooted in? And um, so once we started doing that, it kind of really felt better. And then I uh, went a lot back and forth and used a lot of the editing techniques, I guess, that I use in my own documentaries mm. to sometimes construct things. And you know how documentaries very much are You're making connections written uh, in the yeah, edit room. Yeah. So we kind of did that in the edit room with this. It was so, you know, it's, it's hard for me to even conceive of what your original conception is because one of the things that you ground us in in the beginning that's so key is, uh, and you do it with the filmmaking and also a wonderful performance by Lucas Hedges, but a sense of being out of control. Yeah. And that sense that Shia must have felt at those moments of um, feeling, uh, I don't, I don't want to attach specific words like rage or, but, but, but there's yeah, this element, there in there we, but we feel anchor. it very cinematically of that sense of a lack of control. Mm -hmm. And even you can see in his face like this, he, he's aware of it and can't stop it. And, and, and that is so important to be grounded in in the beginning based on where you're going uh, because if, if that comes halfway through, it's, it, it doesn't follow this 
arc of, of the breakthrough as much. There's two things I tried to capture with that opening, and I have to say that the cool thing about that opening is that like I edited it two nights before we locked the film. So like a month ago? Uh, yeah. Oh. Uh, even less. What is, you know, I follow you on Instagram. But, uh, I'm trying to think, you were shooting this summer, is that right? Or this um, spring? It was recent. Yeah, I mean, I, I got the script just a year ago. Uh-huh. So uh, we were shooting, um, I can't remember now when we were shooting, June? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the thing that I tried to achieve in the opening of the film and is what you just said, yeah, this, this sense of anger and all that, but also what I was uh, very much aiming at is something that Shayat didn't necessarily write in the script because um, he had so much perspective on the years with his father, right, uh, as a result of the therapy and as a result of time. This was something that just happened, but I, I had some perspective on it because I was watching him going through through this, you know, and uh, when I met him, when he did the Sigur Rose movie, it was before all of, all of this kind of really took place, and I felt that there was a sense of, and I, and I hope it comes across from the sequence, a sense of like um, a blurred line between what's real and what's not, you know? I mean, uh, as somebody who's being thrown into so many situations. Which is on, a very sweet spot for you as a filmmaker. Yeah on movie sets and I felt like, yeah, it's my language. And I, I, there's something from working with Shia on the set and seeing his acting is so devotional and his need to get lost in, in the character is, is beyond method. It's not method acting. It's like he's just really, he has to convince himself that, that the, the things he feels have to be kind of real for him, you know, as a character. So I wanted to capture this idea that he's being thrown into so many sets and at a certain point you don't really know anymore what's real and what's not and also just to kind of point out this thing that I've been trying to work with from the start which is this Pinocchio image that I always worked with of of you know the kid that is on a marionette or in this case like a harness and being really operated all the time and pulled back and do and doing stuff and he wants to get off the, the, the marionette and be a real boy. And um, every time he does that, he lies and his nose gets longer. And I feel like Shia has been doing that in the public and has been doing things that, uh, and been caught for them, you know, and th- he did them out of fear, you know, mostly, and out of uh, lack of ability to believe in himself sometimes. So I kind of really, related to that image and how Pinocchio had to be kind and less selfish in order to become a real boy and I worked with it in the sound you know I tried in the sound of the music and to have a lot of cranks and a lot of sounds of like ropes being pulled and um, so that was something that I worked with a lot and I established I think in that opening sequence with the two parallels between older Otis and younger Otis on on the ropes. Just so we're clear though because it's a beautiful image is a is it I assume it's a reference to Transformers, but essentially uh, Shia, or the Lucas Hedges character is on those wires that you're on for an action film. Yeah. And so it, it just to complete the imagery of... Yeah, I don't and think, he always has that harness on his yeah. back that he has to get out of, you know, right. after they take him off that. So, yeah, that was just something that I tried to work with in the opening sequence. You mentioned um, his process and, and I think a sense of honesty and trying to find that honesty on set. In the Q and A after the movie, there was there was a reference to 
what the original conception would be of the process of making this mm-hmm. and then what it ended up becoming. I wonder if you could talk about that. What was that? Can you remember? Well, he was, he was, he, he, I think it was actually Shia that made this comment about something along the lines of like, that he felt it was it, selfish? Or? Well, no, that, that's a different thing. But this idea of the process of directing where it was going to be like, we'll, we'll, we'll find the honesty yeah. and the camera will turn on. Now, yeah. Maybe that was his conception or whatever. But, yeah. but I'm fascinated, whatever, however the process evolved or whatever, but how you did this, because there's also, um, and we should say this right up top, anchoring this film is a performance uh, by Noah Jupe, 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 and he's, I don't know what he is now, but he was he's probably, 13 but he's now, he was 13. 12 at the time, which it's is miraculous, which is unreal, yeah, and I think it, it's the best child performance I've seen, I'm not saying it because to, to compliment myself, I just can't believe how mature he is to be capable to do that, but I imagine some of this finding this honesty is in that, is, is letting him and Shia playing the oh, father, oh, 100%, I wonder if you talk about how that is, because yeah, it, it's incredibly a, effective on screen, but, yeah, they had such a strong connection, you know, because um, when we started the audition process and thinking about how to cast this movie, you know, you come out of a premise that so easily can kind of turn into shit. You're like, oh my God, I mean, you don't want to see. At first, all I was looking for is somebody who reminded me of Shia, who carried that kind of energy, who was troubled in the same way, who had this kind of poetic charisma, you know, and sensitivity that I appreciate about Shia, but also was a bit out of control or couldn't contain himself, you know, emotionally and didn't have the tools. So I was really looking for those kind of types. And and then I was, I realized how uh, boring that would be to see Shia talking to Shia, you mm-hmm. know, and like that, that actually if you put Shia in front of his father, that that's not what it would look like. His father doesn't look exactly like him. It's a whole other person, right? Um, so we started kind of thinking outside of that box and seeing other people. And um, I was pretty convinced that at the beginning because you know my background of the documentaries and I love working with what the industry calls real people which I hate because actors are real people too um, but um, wanted let's say work with non-actors which is a name first that I prefer first time performers great that's how Sean Baker corrects me all the time whenever I say non-professional first time performance. he says they're just love first that. time yeah. exactly um, so I was looking for that, really thought that that would be uh, what would give the film something that I know how to work with and also felt like that I couldn't find the rawness that I was looking at the child actors that I was seeing. Um, and then, you know, um, Brian Kavanaugh Jones, who's actually one of, one of the producers of the films, was just like, you have to see this kid, not Jupe. And I saw an audition of him on tape and I just started crying the minute I saw it. And then I still wasn't sure he can do it because he was British, he still mm. is, and had like kind of a... <laughs> yeah, hearing s- him talk was like, what? <laughs> yeah, and had a certain, um, he has a certain, he has such good support system and such maturity. I always say he's like the, was the most mature person on set. Um, and and people say that you, when, they, when you're working with a kid is that you're casting the parents as much as the kid and you have to see the support parents network. are incredible. His yeah. mom, Katie, was such a big part of the film for me, you know, and I know that not a lot of mothers get that kind of credit, but they really end up coaching the kid quite a lot, you know, and uh, so she was wonderful and his father, Chris. So it was just like I met them, they ended up flying in, and the minute him and Shia read together, I, I, would, I, I felt I have a film. Um, 
so that was you know and then we already already had Lucas and seeing Lucas and him together it was just understanding that we found Otis and that you can kind of build Otis as his own character he doesn't have to be somebody that reminds you of Shia and then borrow certain things and they were so good at that you know they were spending incredible amount of time with Shia Lucas went into Shia's house he was like wearing his fucking shoes and his clothes everywhere and um, Noah and Shia were juggling every day and learning how to juggle together and would go to the park and go to see baseball games and just hang out with their moms and so it became a little family you know and I think that you could see it on screen there was a certain intimacy and a certain is that part of you know we, we had talked about this before about how your process because your process wasn't a standard nonfiction process right. and I, I think you kind of anticipated that you're when you w moved it to scripted narrative it wasn't that right. process would be untraditional too and maybe not that the two would necessarily yeah it would doesn't have to be this binary relationship between exactly. the two exactly um, I'm assuming kind of what you're describing and watching uh, Noah and Shia work is that you're you're seeing something that feels real feels honest yeah. probably feels honest to Shia which is vital to to this process and think and and then allowing your creative camera mind to react to that right yeah it was kind of the way we saw it always is that the part in the rehab um that has you know also martin Starr and laura and uh byron bowers and um a wonderful, a wonderful beat of comedy that you yeah. needed throughout. By the way, Byron's sitting on the yeah. couch, but I say that if he wasn't here, yeah. it, it, the, always that moment that I imagine in post was like this reset of that you yeah. needed as a release. Yeah, needed it on set too. <laughs> <laughs> he did it on stage when everybody was uh, when yeah. everybody was uh, was like clearly spent, and he finally said, "Look, we're triggered." Yeah, yeah we're all triggered here. Let's <laughs> take like a deep breath and. Yeah, it was um, kind of always thought in terms of how to shoot it that the, you know, rehab part is kind of the film, you know, it's like the film and it's what happened after and it can have all these self-aware, a bit more self-aware, a bit more humor and then every time you go back it's kind of really just, you know, you're in it and it's sort of you're inside the memory, you're inside the trauma, you're inside the, the, the reality. Um, and shot it pretty much like that, like you know, I mean, the the it's all handheld, but the the rehab is a lot a lot more kind of planned out, and even when it is handheld, it's less kind of moving around with the characters. And in the hotel, I was operating a lot, and I was really trying to kind of shoot it like a documentary sometimes. And they wanted a lot of freedom to move in the room and not feel like they have to we never marked anything you know we never put marks on the floor and um, so that was kind of the approach yeah and can we also um, cinematographer who I love Natasha Breyer Natasha Breyer uh, who oh, I Bri chased I, 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 is it it's Breyer I think it's Breyer yeah okay, and okay. I chased her for months and months until she agreed to make the film because in this you just describe a structure in particular the stuff um, that's in the hotel a certain verte uh, probably not the right word but, but, but yet at the same time something that I, the two of you did was also create this very distinct look in a, in a color palette not yeah. only a different style of camera yeah um, it's the same camera this is oh, so cinematography, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm wondering because, like, at some point, she becomes part of this, and thinking about like, yeah, how do we allow that freedom, that 360 freedom, but also give this? Um, she's uh, such a strong use of color and of the world. Yeah, how we did that technically? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, um, 
I can explain uh, that. Yeah, but I mean, like, in terms of folding her into this process, because you're letting the two actors find it, and then you're reacting, but then you're also like, how are we going to frame this in terms of a look and what she did? Yeah, we always had that planned from the start. We kind of... um, Natasha watched my prior films, uh, my previous films, and, you know, she... She knew I wanted to keep some of my language so it doesn't become too stale and too kind of stiff and that I wanted to be able to get close to the characters. At first when we planned it out we thought we were going to use anamorphic lenses for the rehab and then actually like um, regular lenses for the hotel so we can get closer. Mm -hmm. Um, But we ended up shooting the uh, rehab first and we fell in love with the look so much and we actually I learned how to work with them and discovered you can actually get pretty close with them so I we ended up shooting it with the same lenses but the way we worked on it was Natasha has such a, an ability to learn the, the the director she works with I think that she told me you know in the beginning don't worry we're only going to find it on day three or four mm-hmm. and I remember on day three we're sitting in the kitchen of this like place in the rehab where we shot the therapy and holding hands and I was like I feel like we found it today that's how I want to shoot it and it was it was um, a matter of having certain stylized moments that I planned out I storyboarded I would say only 10% of the film and then those had to be you know very kind of particular and what we worked a lot with a VFX team to amplify certain scenes and make them bigger and then the rest of the stuff um, was very much a setup that had specific color palettes and certain lights that we kind of tested before. And then we, you know, we would light something, and she would have a, she would sit in her vortex and had like. What is? <laughs> so the vortex is kind of, I would say that it's like kind of a pimped up, like a, a pimped, you know, a video village. Like it's like she has like a iPad, and then. She would put all the, you know, all the lights in the room. She, she's there on the dimmer, and she's kind of like a DJ with an iPad, and she's, you know, sort of um, working the lights live while the actors are going. So if they surprisingly decide instead of doing something by the door and go close to the uh, uh, restroom or the window, she can kind of lower the lights in, while we're doing it, and we don't have to stop and reset and change the lights. Um, so she had an amazing operator named Mati who flew in from Argentina. I operated a camera. There was another operator. We shot in, with two cameras in the motel because there was so much improvisation that a lot of times I thought that we won't be able to, you know, cut things. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we tried to shoot a lot with two cameras so we don't miss It's a weird something. thing, I imagine, to go back to Cheyenne and no one be like, okay, we now have to get this from another angle I mean, or something like that. I mean, it's impossible. I mean, we tried a few times yeah. and sometimes we needed it and we did it. But there's certain things in this movie that we only had two takes. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think that Shia's most incredible monologue in the in the restroom, in the toilet, when he sits on the toilet, like we only did two takes of that, and I think if we had to do one more, he would probably have a breakdown. I mean, he was, it was one of the hardest things he had to do. One, one, I don't want to leave out Lucas Hedges when we're talking about the performance. Yeah, Lucas is the, he's magic. There's a, there's a weird line that he and you have to walk in this because, you know, this movie's not hiding that this is Shia's story. I mean, he's, and yet. It's like he has to channel him 
He channeled him. He channels him, but you don't want the impersonation. You don't. Yeah, want, you that's don't, exactly what he did. Yeah, you don't want you want you don't want this good-looking redhead guy, in, who we know in another contest, just doing an impersonation or something. He's got to find his own performance, but he's also got to like channel a spirit of him, and that's yeah. That's, it's a really tricky line. That yeah, I'll never forget my first meeting with him. He was it was just like one of those meetings where you feel like you possibly are about to make a friend for life, and not just meet like somebody you work with. And he just had this extremely spiritual, I would say, approach to the whole thing. And, you know, he works a lot with the subconscious and dreams and like he approaches the character. He finds a way in that I think is very special and not typical. And he picked up, he, he spent so much time with Shia. He has such a great ear. He watched all these videos on YouTube of Shia doing interviews for hours. and. At some point, he could do a perfect impression of Shia, and and then we dialed it down, you know. And he was like, "Okay, now I got to bring Otis and myself into it." So he really worked out every day. He, you know, ate four meals a day because he's a, a much skinnier guy, and than, than he is in, in the film. And so he, he kind of transitioned into this thing, and then he played with it and massaged it and dialed it in, and it was so incredible to see. I was so impressed by him. He's a very special actor because he's he can feel when it's not truthful, and he knows he can't he just can't connect to it if it's not truthful. But he also has such a good eye and such a good ear, you know, to things that 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 that, that, that are on the on the more surfacey. It's also a performance where it could ruin the movie. Yeah. If you are sitting there watching it, you could be taken out yeah. of it. Yeah. In no, context it was of really cool. I mean, this whole movie is kind of a, it's like some psycho magic, right? Like exorcism. It's like you're kind of watching somebody doing like a form of psychotherapy to exercise his demons on one hand, and then you realize while you're watching it that you, I think, from what I hear, and hopefully that's what I was hoping for too, that you just watch it at a certain point, I think it doesn't matter anymore so much no, that it it's Shia. It's just like you just really connect with your own trauma, and everybody has something, you know, or most people have something that happened to them that they had to work through, and I think that that's where the film kind of deals with. The, the, film, film, the film is successful on many levels, but I think the thing that more than anything is how it is defined as a success is, is, is how it ends. And not to ruin it, but I mean, in that sense of feeling clearly what he has been through, and maybe he's still going through it, but he, had, he has some realizations, he has some moments, and, and to have an audience feel not just understand, but to feel like yeah. an opening that one has when they have those kind of so realizations, hard, right? yeah. and and you get that. And so, if you don't have that, you're yeah. It, 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 um, I mean, there's a lot of factors that went into that, but yeah. but to construct a film where you actually feel that way is ultimately how this is kind of how you define this film as success. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for saying that. I I feel like it's. Uh, it's it's a, it's definitely a film that I think you can come in thinking a lot of things and th 
think about the meta aspects of it, which mm -hmm. are kind of cool. I love, I loved playing with that. Like I'm, mm -hmm. I'm totally cool with the fact that some, you know, even Stephen fan is like sitting out there <laughs> and like, like getting my all my references, you know. But at the same time, like I really worked hard to have what you just said that that it's like just the visceral emotional experience of. What does it feel like to have a breakthrough and a catharsis when you work on your own shit and your demons? But I also want to say that I feel like people really love, as we know, to be binary about everything, not just gender, but like you're saying, like documentary, fiction, good, bad. Like, you know, people are like, okay, so now you had a catharsis, are you going to be a good person forever? And as we know, anybody who's over 30, it's not that easy. Like, you can have a lot of realizations about your life and you still need to keep doing the work and uh, it takes a while until you can really just let go and feel like you've arrived and that's the process that Jung referred to as individuation right mm -hmm. like becoming an individual figuring out your story and owning it and then like becoming a whole person it takes a long time and it comes from a lot of moments like that where you work through things Nico do I have a second or do yeah, you? yeah yeah okay okay um there's another, and, and, and let's take, you know, if we need to walk around this because it's um, it borders on spe uh, spoiler, I understand. Um, this is also the acting debut of the musician Twig, right? Is that yeah, Twigs. Twigs. And um, she, the, the camera loves her. The, the camera, camera loves her. I love her. Okay. The and audience loves her. She has a, she has a, she has yeah. a spirit to it. But the thing, so that, wonderful. the thing that was surprising to me is, is that remove her from the situation, that character and that storyline is a, is a tightrope. Yeah, it's a tightrope. It is an absolute tightrope yeah. between sex and mother and yeah. love right. and what it is. And it, it's interesting to me not only... You know, it's interesting to watch. And it doesn't like, have tons of dialogue, which yeah. is like something that is usually I wouldn't do, you know, but I felt like, I'm sorry, I'll let you ask your question. No, no, but I'll just tee it up. But I mean, to have the faith in this 13-year-old boy and this musician appearing on, I mean, obviously we know that musicians are good performers and it's not as tough as a translation, but I mean, to trust the two of them, and obviously under your direction, to find these moments, which I have to admit, I don't know if I had read the script, right. if you could do that, you know, yeah. I think you had to be prepared to almost to cut that part because it's right. like, it might not work, it might right. not translate, but it does, and there's something so beautiful about it. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I feel like a lot of movies that I see about women, and obviously that's something we always refer to in women's studies and speak about, is how there's a dichotomy, and again, the binary um, thing of like thing. The, the mother and the whore. Uh, you know, and like the, the woman who is either motherly or respected or loved and then the whore who's seductive and, you know, and is never, can never have the place of the woman in the house to, that, that gets the respect. And I think that the film deals a lot with the lack of, of a woman, the lack of a mother, the lack of a fem female energy and living under this like masculine expectation that isn't healthy. and. Her character was very important to me, because, and I think she really inhabited it in a beautiful way, you know, and managing to bring this kind of um, naive quality that I met, both Twigs and me met with a lot of girls. We worked with this organization that's called Shoot to Heal, 
that works with uh, ex, you know, survivors of uh, sex trafficking and gang members and um, DJ Mama, who's playing her pimp, is a woman from that organization oh. who really was a pimp recruiter. And we kind of met with them, and I just and watched a lot of you know documentaries about that. And um, and so many of these girls have such a, um, a naive quality to them, and they they also carry so much pain. And they're so nurturing on one hand, and then on the other, you know, they can be seductive when they want to, and they can do the job when they're when they're almost ordered to or required to. And um, we kind of tried to walk that line, you know, and find find what felt right for them. And DJ, the woman who played DJ Mama, um, was so important, you know, and helped us so much with that. And when Noah and Twigs met, and we rehearsed some of the more kind of physical stuff in the movie when they don't talk but not really dance together, but it's kind of like a mime scene that is inspired by the clowning that his father taught him. Um, it, we, they were just so playful with each other, and they just felt so comfortable, and they just became really good friends, and you could see that they have this great chemistry. And um, It was a hard scene for Noah, and we were very sensitive about it and how to do it, but he, he really grasped it, you know? And um, I, I think I, I really love that scene. I feel like the thing that I don't want to reveal too much, but it's kind of one of the scenes that really break my heart, and actually, it's a twofold, you know, why why I feel so heartbroken about it, because it's kind of a moment when you realize that both of them need love, you know, and both of them kind of don't know how to get it mm -hmm. in, in that place that they live. Well, they nailed it. And as did you. Congratulations Thank on your you. first scripted narrative. And um, Thank you, man. Thanks well, for having me. And thanks for all your help over the years and all your support. Well, we didn't get to talk about Free the Bid, but we've written about that on the site. But um, uh, You do your work but, um, a lot. You know, uh, it's, uh, you've been doing amazing. It's been a, quite a year and a half for you. I know. It's been crazy. Thank you, man. Mm -hmm.